great message there. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in the jail next, until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers and elders and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. And so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note of these men had been living with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church, and welcome to those joining us online. Hello to you as well, and we are in a sermon series, Woo-hoo! but of course, uh, I know what will wake you up uh, before I preach this sermon here today is that uh, I want to remind you that uh, college football starts this weekend. Yay! There's somebody awake. That's right. Yay! So as, uh, I just want to remind you that um, I get to still claim the national championship Bulldogs uh, well, about Saturday, and then it's the new season, so... I had to, we only know, it happens only 41 years every 41 years, so I got to get in when I can, so there you go. <laughs> but thank you for being with us as we're here today, and uh, we're excited to continue on in our sermon series uh, here today. First, let's pray. Lord, may the words of our mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, we have been in a sermon series, and the sermon series is really this. It's uh, in the ancient creeds of the church, 
there are certain words that are attached to the idea of what a church is. What I mean by that is they ask this question of how do you define a church? Now, the way they would have said that is what is the nature of the church? You know, what is the essence of the church? What does a church have to be in order to be the church? And they came up with four words that are kind of adjectives, if you will, that stand for a bunch of things. But they came up with one, which we talked about that first week, that a lot of our beliefs in one God and one baptism, one Savior, one Messiah, one Lord, all these different things happen in one church, kind of universal, that there's one church and one body of Christ all around. And the second week, we looked at the idea of being holy, that church isn't just called to believe in something, as in, you know, just in mentally believe something, but actually act and be godlike. And we looked at just how sometimes if you change the core message of what has been preached to us, if you change that core message, you end up maybe going some ways and some things in history that would have gone a whole lot worse than they did if uh, the certain kind of heresies that were happening in the very early church uh, were actually not stamped out, if you will. And today we're going to be looking at really a third one and kind of a little bit of a fourth one, and we're going to switch it. So whenever you say it, you say one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic church is normally how the, how the order goes. But today we're going to jump Catholic for just a minute and go to apostolic. That's right, because why go in order when you don't have to? We're not going to. We're just going to do what we want here today and, and do that. So we're going to be looking at that word apostolic here today. Now, I want to just kind of think about this for just a minute. So we're thinking about that original message, uh, message that is of the early church. And you guys know the telephone game, right? Everybody know the telephone game, right? Where, you, you know, it's where you have the person and they say something in someone's ear and then they whisper it to the next person. You get in a line of people and you go however many you want to go and you get to the end and then the person on the end is asked to say aloud what they heard and they say it and then, of course, the person in the front reveals what they said and it was nothing, you know, a lot of times, very changed and very different from what it was originally heard, right? And so, of course, when you think about the message that we've received, how do you know the same thing didn't happen, right? That the message was originally with, you know, the disciples and such, and then we, 2,000 years later, have gotten maybe off track as it got handed down and handed down and handed down and all these different things. Also, furthermore, how do you know you have the right message? If, for instance, at the, you go back and you look at a certain point when there's different people saying different things, if you have some people saying, well, Jesus said this, and other people are saying, well, Jesus said this, right? How do you know which telephone to even believe in in the telephone game from the original message that you would have heard? And so, you know, you think about this and, you know, you ask the question of, well, it's about 125 AD, you know, it's, it's roughly like, you know, about that time, the 150 of about this time when these different things were happening. And so you have basically what, you know, today we traditionally believe as Christians is the understanding of what the core elements of what Jesus' message and what his life meant. But there are two other things running around, as we talked about. First one, again, was Gnosticism. Second one was the teachings of Marcion. And how do we now know that the other two weren't right, or one of them wasn't right, that we were wrong, right? Or, you know, in the way we kind of word it in today's language, how do we know that it wasn't just a case of the powerful got to write history, and maybe the true message was actually one of the other two, and we lost it in history? And then, of course, once you start asking those questions, you got to keep digging a little further, right? Because question goes upon question. And here's where you kind of end up is, should we at least acknowledge the fact that there were these different expressions of Christianity in this early church, and that there's a complexity now of looking back on it, and that we should withhold judgment, that is, on which one is right? And maybe we should just celebrate all three expressions of Christianity back then and now, and just be okay, even now, accepting that here today. 
And so, of course, when you go to seminary, you study these things, you ask these questions, and as you go to seminary, you'll understand like this idea is that when you go to seminary, you ask a question, you don't ever find an answer, you just get a better question, right? Is what ends up happening, question after question after question, and you dig really, really deep and go into these things. And this is kind of what you do in seminaries. You look at all these different stuff and all these things. And this is why a lot of times if you've ever talked to pastors, they talk about how when they went to seminary, they had like really firm in their faith, and they feel like seminary, they got ripped down, and then they had to kind of build themselves back up and what they believed and things like that. And that's kind of why, because you look and you ask all these really hard questions. How do we know that the message we have today wasn't the wrong one? Let that sit for just a minute. You're going to wrestle with yourself. How do you know? Now, if you're having an existential crisis here today, congratulations, you've been to seminary. This is what happens in seminary, right? But you're going to just for a few seconds. But I have good news and great tidings to tell you here today. That's not the end of the sermon. The sermon is going to keep going. And in fact, I would like to tell you this words is that the ancient church in this time, guess what, answered that question for us. And they did it extremely def definitively. As in, you and I can have almost no doubt whatsoever that the message that we received was the right one out of these three. And so we're going to be looking at that idea of how do you know, and the reason how we know are those two words that we haven't looked at yet, because of apostolic, because also of Catholic. But we want to start with apostolic, and so if you remember this idea of it was this early church, and Gnosticism was going around, and let's look at it first. As Gnosticism, again, there's a whole bunch of flavors to it, kind of like ice cream at Baskin-Robbins. More or less, here's kind of the basics of what the ice cream was, if you will. And so there were kind of these layers of reality. If you ever seen the movie Matrix, it's kind of like that. It's like we're stuck in a reality. It's not so good. And there's this new reality above us that we just need to get out of and break free of this reality to a new reality. And then sometimes you get kind of like layers of an onion, layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. And the idea upon it is this, is that this material world is totally evil. Everything we kind of know and understand is, is totally a facade, if you will, and we need secret knowledge to move on to the next level, the next inner layer of that onion, if you will. And the idea was this, is that Jesus, they said, gave us the secret knowledge, the secret, sometimes it was a password, sometimes it was hidden in his teaching, sometimes it was all sorts of things like this. And if you just had that, then you could break free to the next knowledge and to the next thing. And so Jesus, in order of what we need to know as a Christian faith, was just to know secret knowledge. And the other church came together and they said, no, <laughs> that is not the teaching. And you say, well, how did they do this? They said, all right, well, here's the deal. And they said, here's the problem with this. And here's how the argument went. They said, hey, the church is apostolic. And here's what they meant when they said that. They said, hey, you're saying that there's these hidden teachings and these secret teachings of Jesus. If that was true, he surely would have told his disciples that he was around with all the time, right? And then those disciples would, of course, have gone on when they, of course, you know, when Jesus goes back to heaven and disciples are sent out along all the ends of the earth and they spread out and they start sharing the gospel and starting churches here, there, and everywhere and all over the place. All these churches they would have started, the successors of them, the, that secret knowledge would have been passed on to them. And then those secret knowledge people would pass on the next secret knowledge and here's the problem, oh, you Gnostics, all the churches of the world that the apostles and the disciples that were part of, that we can trace the lineage of, hey, so-and-so, you know, you know, for instance, if John went here and Polycarp was after them and now our new leader is, is now here, we don't have that secret knowledge. And what they meant by that is we can trace the lineage of the apostolic teaching 
just a few generations back from the same people that were with Jesus all the time, and they said nothing about the secret knowledge. Now, if you were just looking at one person or one church versus the Gnostics, you would say, well, how do you choose one or the other? The answer was this, is because every single church that could trace its lineage back to the apostles and disciples, not just the 12 that we normally think of in the sense of the first 11, you know, because Judas, of course, betrayed Jesus, and then Matthias gets attached to the 12, if you will, right after that, but also others like Paul or Barnabas that were around Jesus and knew Jesus and went to spread those gospel message. If you weren't linked to one of them, and all these churches were linked together, and all of them spoke up, now there wasn't like a big council meeting because, you know, it was not the big thing of the world yet and all these stuff, but they all sent letters, and they all wrote all these different things. They preached, and they preached, and they talked, and they shared what they knew. And every single one of them said, this is not the message at all. And the message is this. And when they said this, they unanimously pretty much agreed on all the very fundamental things that Christians today still believe. And what was unique about that was this idea is that the Gnostics then all of a sudden had no ground to stand on. And so when they tried to share their message with people, people said, well, how come all of Jesus' closest disciples say this is untrue and their successors all say it's untrue? That's what they meant by that apostle. When we say apostolic, that's what we mean, is that the teaching of the apostles themselves is the very teaching of the church. And the teaching of that apostles, why it's so important, is because they were the eyewitnesses. They were the ones that were there with Jesus. They're the ones who experienced Jesus you know, outside of Paul, living in the flesh, Paul saw kind of a visionary Jesus, but nonetheless, all of them knew and learned Jesus, hands and feet before them. Got to see him, touch him, feel him, know him, walk with him, you know, sleep in the camp with him, and go with Paul around and see all his teachings and hear them themselves, and all of them say, this is the message. And the churches of that day all agreed, this is the message we were told by not only our current person that's leading us, our bishop, if you will, or elder, if you will, not only the person before them, but the person before them that was the actual apostle that came to our church. So everybody knew it wasn't a case of telephone game. Because it wasn't like that at all. It was more like if the telephone game, if you want to mend it and make it right, it was more like this. If the person in the front who had the first message didn't whisper it, but told it to 12 people, if you will, right? And he said it enough times. He didn't just say it once, but over and over and over, right? And then those 12 people went on and spread it, and then you keep going on and on and on, but they didn't do it, you know, hush, hush, secret, secret. They kept telling it over and over and over until every single person that ever been touched by those, any message of any of those 12, all agreed at the very end of that telephone game and said, here's the message we received. And they all said, agreed, that is the message we received. And so it was very true in that sense that Gnosticism was, even though it was a big threat at very first to the Christian church and the Christian understanding of what the message was, it very quickly was stamped out from being understood as the true story of who Jesus was. Now, of course, when you think about this, there's another aspect that needs to be talked about. Is when I say that the disciples' teaching, what was it, right? So you want to go back to the early church and hear what they said? Thank you, one person in the church. Yeah, someone's tracking with me. Yeah, all right. So you're there with me. So we have the Apostles' Creed that we've been saying every week for the last few weeks, and we have one more week of that. We're going to do it one more time. And so I want you to think about those words. The ancient church pretty much put them together. Now, I want to let you know that that exact form that we say it in was actually about the 6th, 7th century when it was finalized in that form. 
However, it's, while that can be true, it's also true all the elements of it were true even back at this early church time that we're talking about. For instance, I want you to hear how they did this. So the creeds weren't actually said as creeds as we do them today. They were actually said at baptism. So in these days, more and more new converts are being made all the time, and so there were baptisms that would happen, especially regularly, and especially they do it around Easter. And when they would do that, there were specific questions that were asked. See if this sounds familiar to you. So this is one of this is a, a, a really good, clear example of a of an early church, the things you would have to agree to before your baptism and publicly declare before the church. They would ask you, do you believe in God the Father Almighty? Then they would ask you, do you believe in Christ Jesus, the Son of God, who was born of the Holy Ghost and of the, Mary the Virgin, who was crucified under Pilate and died and rose again at the third day? Living from among the dead, he ascended into heaven and sat at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the quick and the dead? Question mark. Then they would ask the third question, do you believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Church, and the resurrection of the flesh? I don't know about you. When I heard that, I hear the Apostles' Creed already existed, even though in its final form, maybe in the 6th or 7th century, it existed all the way back in that first 100 AD in a very firm format, if you will. But I want to ask you this question is, you know what? Those creeds were developed. Say, this is what the apostolic teaching was. So they developed those, and so it was shared that when the church heard those baptismal vows, it would all kind of understand themselves together that we, again, are agreeing that this is the message that is given to us. And not only would we agree that we in our own apostolic succession, if you will, have had that message, but that all the other churches around the world, the Catholic part of it, the universal part of it, that we all agree that this was the message together. What's interesting is you can go back even further than that. You want to hear some other cool things? Okay, thank you. <laughs> Someone's tracking. Welcome. I know school started this week, so it's hard to always track with it. But in the Bible, in the New Testament specifically, in the letters of Paul, Paul, of course, was not originally one of the 12 disciples, but his life was changed. He was a persecutor of the church. And all of a sudden, a bright, flashing light happened on his way to Damascus. And all of a sudden, he saw a vision of Jesus. And Jesus told him, why do you persecute me? Paul was blinded. And he had to go. And he was sent to uh, go stay with basically a bunch of the apostles and things. And he had to go stay with them and learn from them. Even though he had this vision of Jesus and he knew what it was, they had to teach him what Jesus was actually about. And so he spent a number of years with the teaching of the different disciples that were still there and the apostles that were there and the people that had lived with Jesus before he went out on his missionary journeys. And it's very interesting that there's kind of, there's a bunch of, actually a number of these places in his writings, but he's writing these letters because of the time and about 20 to 30 years after Jesus rose from the dead, right? So we're not talking even 100 AD, we're talking like in the 50s and 60s AD, right? And when he writes these letters, sometimes he quotes things. For instance, I want you to hear this message that he says. Now, remember, he went and he had to learn from people. And so he's going to say these words. He says them in 1 Corinthians. So we're probably talking like mid-50s, early 50s even, of A.D. And he says these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, for what I received, I passed on to you. In other words, I was given this message. Now I'm giving it to you. And specifically, he was given this message when he was blinded by light. He didn't understand it all at that time. He actually had to go and learn from the people of the church what it was, who's Jesus' life, and what it meant. He says, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, 
that he was buried and buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve, and after that more than five hundred of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, but some have fallen asleep. He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and at last he appeared to me also as one who's abnormally formed. So what he's saying there is saying, hey, the church, the teaching of the church that was given to me, let me remind you of a few things of it, right? He says these three really important things, that our sins, that he was buried and he raised on the third day, and that all that was in accordance with the scriptures. Now that's not long enough for the telephone game to work, 20, 30 years, with the people that were originally still at the very beginning of the telephone line, still living, that could say, that is not true, Paul, right? They were all still living, and they could basically say, this is not the message, and yet all of them agreed. This was the message. It's also fun to look at Philippians. There's a song. There's actually a hymn of the church in Philippians. If you ever read the, look at the Bible, and maybe it's hard to see on like an app, but if you ever look in like, like a hard-bound book of the Bible, you'll notice that all of a sudden, you know, it's like normal kind of paragraph form, and all of a sudden it goes into like a poem form. And the reason for that is because scholars believe that this section that Paul's going to quote is actually an ancient hymn of the church. And so Paul's probably writing this maybe in the 60s, early 60s, or even late 50s as he writes the Philippians. And it says these words in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Now his point is he's trying to tell the church, act like Jesus. But it's interesting the things that he says when he says what Jesus is like. And so just listen to these words of these hymns. Your attitude should be like that, the same as Jesus. Now he's going to start quoting, if you are, or even maybe he's sung as he said it. Who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, he became human in likeness. And being found in the appearance of his man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name above every other name, that at that name Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven, on earth, and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of the Father. So you can see in that, just that hymn, if you will, that Paul's quoting at the time, that just Christians around the world, it wasn't just Paul making up this story, if you will, and all the other writers of, writings that we have in the New Testament. Paul was quoting what already existed at that time. It became, of course, the apostolic teaching that the church said to be apostolic. This is the message you receive. And so you and I can hear today say firmly, that they age of church because of dealing with these heresies and the way that they spoke about it, the way that they handled them, you and I know for certain that those things that we say in the apostolic creed that we say, uh, you know, we normally say it once a month, but lately we've been saying it every week just because of the sermon series, every single one of those is the core teaching of the church. I want to say one last thing uh, in the sermon here today. So that idea of apostolic, over time, it's a little adapted, if you will. And what I mean by that is, is eventually the churches looked at that and they didn't just, they would say apostolic, but they meant apostolic succession. Here's what they kind of eventually kind of meant when they said that. It wasn't what it originally meant that I just explained to you. What they actually said was that, hey, if one of the apostles didn't come start your church, you're not a church. But that was not what the ancient church was using that term as. What they meant was the apostolic teaching. And they could say, we trace this back, but it was an inclusive idea of it. They said any church that would agree to these things is a church, right? And we're actually battling those that would disagree with those things or try to undermine these ideas that Jesus said. And the church kind of, not twisted it, but it kind of, there was a whole other doctrine that maybe some other denominations adopted to where it was the idea that 
Again, if an apostle didn't come start your church, if you will, you are not a true church. That was not the original understanding. And especially when we say that the church is one holy apostolic Catholic church, we don't mean that at all. What we mean is those apostolic teachings, the very message that the apostles passed on and lived for, died for, and that those that even received them died for, and those that wrote about them and talked about them and kept the scriptures and letters that were written to them, that those wouldn't give them up and they died for those, that that was the teaching that you and I have received here today. And it's the same teaching that existed when all these heresies were starting up. The church saying, this is the message. And the church has to be based upon it. So next week we're going to say that Apostles' Creed one last time. We're going to talk a little bit more about both the apostolic and the Catholic idea, just in a little different light, different way of looking at it. But as we do, I want you to think about, you were living in the first century. You'd be saying the same exact word. faith that's been passed on to us, the core of what we believe, the essence and the things that we will not change, will not barter. This is the story of Jesus Christ and what his life means for us. Let us pray. Lord, as we're here today, we thank you so much for your love. And God, as we're here, it's amazing to think that your church has done its very best to always preserve this message. God, sometimes in history, whether through political means or even other things that have happened, sometimes we've messed up or let it go. But God, you've always brought us back. That Lord, we stand with brothers and sisters from all denominations as we proclaim that apostolic faith. That God, truly, this is the message, Lord, that you came and died for us in accordance with the Scriptures, that you rose again in accordance with the Scriptures. That God, Jesus, you are God, fully and fully human, and that Lord... Holy Ghost lives amongst us and breathes us. God, forever we pledge ourselves to always help you have our church be one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.